The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. I'm going to read the word um, after I pray, and we're just going to dive in. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to come together. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move and teach us, Lord, your word, reveal the truth to our hearts. God, help us to not just understand it in our ears and in our head, but, Lord, in our actual heart and to live it out. God, let it fall on good soil today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're celebrating Cinco de Mayo today. Who knows what Cinco de Mayo is? Every, uh, the most common answer I've heard is, well, that's the, that's the Mexican Independence Day. Who thinks that? Raise your hand. Okay, you're wrong. Okay, it's not. I didn't know what it was. I just know that it's a party, right? I don't need details. It's a party. Every year there's a party. Well, what Cinco de Mayo actually is, I'm going to read you a little bit of history, uh, and it commemorates the Mexican Army's victory over the French Empire at the Battle of Puebla. So it's actually celebrating a big battle victory. It's on May 5th, 1862, under the leadership of General Ignacio. He was also in Nacho Libre, uh, the movie General Ignacio. Uh, but it says, the victory of the smaller Mexican force against the large French force was a boost to morale. But here's the thing that happened, okay? And this is why there's some confusion about Cinco de Mayo, because when you go to celebrate it, you hear, well, it's more of an American holiday. Like, Americans celebrate it, but it doesn't really get celebrated that much in, in Mexico. It's kind of our thing. It's, like, commercialized. So here's part of the reason for that, is that it was a battle that they won, but a year after the battle, a larger French force came back and defeated that same army in the second battle of Puebla, and that city soon fell to the invaders. So it wasn't a permanent victory. It was a victory against an opposing force that was larger than them, so they beat one giant. Imagine David beats Goliath. And just as he starts to celebrate and party and thinks he's going to go in and kind of take over the kingdom and be this great guy, a bigger giant comes and just wipes David out and it's over. That's kind of the picture of what happened. And so it's not really something that is, is a great celebration because it didn't last. It was a temporary small victory. And so sometimes that happens in our own life. Sometimes there's challenges, there's difficulties, there's things that we go to face and we think that we have a victory and we're going to be ready to celebrate and then all of a sudden some other problem, some other challenge that seems more significant comes and creates a huge discouragement. It's like, why did I even start fighting? Why did I even try to win? My wife and I, several years back, we had been trying to get rid of debt and become debt-free for like, I don't know, 16, 17 years this battle to get debt-free. We finally got debt-free about four years ago, I think. How long? Five, okay? Five years ago. We sit there, I sit there in my van or my truck. I go into the bank. I pay it off. I walk out. I got a receipt from the bank that says balance 0.00 after like years. I sit in my car. Nobody else is around. I take a picture of it, and I do the Dave Ramsey thing that they do on the radio. Anybody ever heard that? What do they do when they get debt-free, right? They scream out, right? They're like, debt-free! I do that in my car by myself, nobody else around. I'm just feeling the power and the emotion of it. 
take that little receipt, I take a picture, I post it on Facebook, I say, don't give up, never give up, you can do it, we did it, just keep snowballing, God's good, the world's good. Two days later, two days later, I get a letter from the IRS. There's been a mistake. The issue with your taxes, you owe us $11,000. Now, the debt I had been battling to pay off was around that same amount. <laughs> it took me a long time to get there. They basically just came back and said, hey, everything you just celebrated, boom, have it back. You talk about discouragement. You talk about wanting to quit, wanting to give up. I'm just like, what in the world? Now, my amazing wife went and did a whole bunch, I don't even know how you do it, but did a bunch of backlog work and stuff and ended up getting the IRS to agree that it was only like 8000 which was still a ton of money for us at the time. And so it's just discouragement. But sometimes you think you have a victory and you celebrate and then another giant comes in and squishes it back down. And if we're not careful, what happens is it's the whole Pavlov, the Pavlov's dog syndrome where when the bell rings, you salivate. Because every time I feed the dog, I ring the bell and the dog comes running in and eats. And pretty soon, it doesn't have to see the food. I ring the bell and the dog just starts to slobber because it's been trained. Well, if we're not careful, we can get trained that every time we have a victory, it probably won't last. Something else is going to happen. And so we stop celebrating and really standing on faith in the good things that God does because we get into a mindset that, well, it's probably temporary. I'm not going to get too high because something's probably going to happen that's not good. And we just get into this mindset and we just kind of start to live a flatline existence. And that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to have victory. So this message today is about winning as the underdog and not a temporary victory, but winning in life, winning for the long term, winning for the length of our life and then beyond into eternity. It is a permanent, long-lasting, always victory that never goes away. And that's where God wants us to live in our faith. And so we're going to jump into Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to read 16 verses out of there, and it's important because we need the whole story. And so Joshua chapter 2, now remember the Israelites came out of bondage, out of the slavery of Egypt. God was going to take them to the promised land. This is backstory if you don't know this. It was a group of people that were in slavery. God calls them out of slavery. They escape. The armies of the giant, the Egyptians, are thrown under the sea, and God defeats them. And so now they are this victorious people. They celebrate, but they continually get beaten back by other giants from within, their own hearts. They turn away from God. They complain. They murmur. God keeps them in the desert waiting. But eventually, over time, God brings them to the promised land and to have victories. Okay? And they start having different victories and taking over lands. And so this is one of those stories, Joshua chapter 2. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, he's the leader of this army now, of Israelites, secretly sent two spies um, from, I'm not even going to say that word because I don't know how to pronounce it. Without, okay, Shittim, I think, is the word. Okay, kids? That's a Bible word. That's not a word for home, okay? So stop it. All right, but this is where it was. He sends him into this land, and it says, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. This is where they're going to go take over. It says, So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Okay, so the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. 
bring out the men who've come to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out our whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. And she said, yes, they came to me, but I did not know where they came from. She goes, at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went, so go after them quickly. You might catch up with them. But she had actually taken them and put them up on the roof and hidden them under some stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So here she is. She's hiding them. Okay, and she's been ordered to turn them over. She says, I don't have them. I'm hiding them. So now we have the two spies that are from God's army. They're hiding out in the house of a prostitute, and they're waiting there so that they don't get killed or get caught. It says, Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. She goes, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, and also what you did to Sion and, and Og and the kings of the Amorites and east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please. This is her talking. I'm going to pause there for a second. They came in to spy out the land and to throw it over. And this lady, a prostitute, living in the wall of a city, is hiding them out. And she says to them, I know that you guys are from God. I know that you guys will win this battle. I know that we're going to lose. Have you ever been ashamed? Have you ever felt like bad things are going to happen to me? And in your mind, you can't find a way out to justify that it shouldn't. And you have just settled in your own heart that this is going to happen to me, and it's going to happen because, honestly, I deserve it. It's going to come my way. And you tell other people, I don't deserve it. It shouldn't happen. That's not the way it should be. And you try to justify yourself, but in your own heart and in your own mind, you know even if this goes terrible, I deserved it. I don't really deserve to win. Like Jesse said, I don't know if I belong in God's house. I could have faith that God's good. I can have faith that God has great plans for people. I can have faith that God wants to do something awesome for this guy next to me or this gal next to me. But for me, I don't deserve it. I'm thankful just to be here. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want anybody to know that I got on board. They might throw me off. I just want to be here. Not expect much. And so she has this guilt and this fear coming over her. God is coming. We know it, and we know we're going to lose. So she's sharing this. And so she goes on. She says, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. She says, because I have shown kindness to you, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and of my mother and my brothers and my sisters. And all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. 
She said, our lives for your lives. The men, or the men assured her, they said to her, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house that she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. So she gives them instructions on how to escape and lets them out. She makes this agreement. I'm going to let you go, and you guys are going to do something for us in return and, and not let us get destroyed. Okay, so she makes a bargain. Now, what's interesting about that is the thief on the cross side story that relates. There's a thief on the cross with Jesus, and he looked at Jesus, and he didn't ask for heaven, and he didn't ask for even forgiveness or anything great and amazing. He's literally dying. He's there because he deserves to be there. Okay, this woman is part of a wicked city and culture. And when you look at some of the history on some of these cities, they were doing things that are beyond your imagination. They're having idols with hands that are heated up to red hot so they can bring their live babies and set them on the hands and cook them and burn them on the altars. And they would drown out the screaming with drum beats. And I mean, there's a wicked, wicked nations that God was sending his people into. Each nation with its own types of sins and things that were just horribly wicked. And she's a part of one of these cities that's doing things that are horrible. Her herself, even within that city, would be even as a lower class. She's a prostitute. She's living in this wall, and these things are coming against her. Now, the thief on the cross was similar. He was on the cross because he deserved to be there. And he looks over to Jesus, and he says, very simply, will you remember me? That's it. Just remember me. When you get to heaven, remember me. That's all he could muster. That's all he could say. And Jesus answered to him, was today you'll be with me in paradise. His answer wasn't, I'll remember you. His answer wasn't, you should have done a better job. His answer wasn't, well, you blew it now. His answer wasn't, well, you deserve to be here and I don't. His answer was simple. I won't just remember you. I'm taking you with me into heaven. That is the heart of God. That is the grace and the goodness of God. And here we have this story of a prostitute on a wall living in her little home, ready to face the wrath of God for the sins of their nation. The enemy is coming. The spies are there. Everyone's afraid. And she's like, would you just spare our lives? Just me and my little family. I'll make a trade. Would you spare our lives? Just let us live. Now Matthew chapter 1. This one's not going to be on the screen, but I just want to read you something. I'm, I'm going to skip around in a little bit because it's so long. But Matthew chapter 1 is the lineage of Jesus Christ. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. The son of David, the son of Abraham, tracking back. 
Now Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Skipping down a little ways, this goes on very long, but just skipping down a little ways, it says, Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That passage goes on and on. It's the whole lineage all the way down to Jesus. It's stopping there, but it continues to go. And if you continue, I could read for 10 minutes. You get lost in the names, and so would I. But at the end of the chapter, it says, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Her request was simple. Just let us live. God's response was magnificent. Not only did she live, but she is in the lineage of Jesus. If you track it back and you read through this genealogy, she is his G29. That's a grandma to the 29th power. She's 29 generations back, but without Rahab, we have no Jesus. Not only did he bring her into the family lineage and bring his son, the Savior of the world, through her life, but when he inspired the writers of the Bible to write his genealogy, he included her name in it. And there's only out of that entire lineage, there's only, I believe it's four women that are even mentioned. Or one of them not by name, but just by reference. And he put her name in there. Are there people in your family that you're ashamed of? You have an uncle, a dad, a grandpa that was not a very good person. Made mistakes, had issues. Were drunk abused family members. They were a thief, a fraud. And so when you talk about your family, you don't really mention them. My family's got lots of craziness in it, man. I came from, I came from crazy, just tell you that. I remember one time we went to a family reunion. It was actually my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, and it was at a skate park. Uh, because that was really classy for my family. You go to a roller skate park. And so we go there, and it wasn't a nice one, I'll just tell you that. <laughs> we go to the skate park, and we're out there eating. I get there with my brother, and he's on the phone with his wife, and he says, well, we're almost there. And we we're kind of joking about the crazy of our family. We're almost there. And I hear her on the phone, and she goes, it can't be that crazy. He's like, okay. We literally haven't finished parking. We're just pulling into our spot. And this guy comes running at our car, with a big cast on his middle finger, a splint thing, and he comes running at us, giving us double middle fingers, laughing and pointing at us to the car, and we just look out the window, and he's just running up, laughing about it, and we're just like, yeah, it's that kind of crazy. We haven't even got started yet. That's our welcome. And the reason he was doing that is because when he was working on the job, he was moving railroad ties with somebody, or blocks, something heavy, 
And we used to do both, so I don't remember which one, but they pick it up, and they go to slam it down on the next pile, and he forgot to take his hand out, so it literally slams it on the pile, and the entire end of his finger was just cut off, smashed off, like gone. And so he's got a short finger trying to heal. He's got it all taped up. He's got the middle finger going. We get out, and then the rest of the day just was downhill from there. It's more craziness. But there's people sometimes in our families that we just don't want to include when we're talking to other people because we're out to impress. But God includes Rahab. He includes her name. He includes her profession. He could have just said Rahab, but all of her story's there, and then he includes her in the name, and then he says, by the way, I, when I came to the earth, I came through her line. She's my grandma. She's my family. And there's a message in there for us. That wasn't the only strike that she had against her. She had three strikes against her. One is she was from a, a wicked culture. She was a Canaanite. She didn't belong. She didn't have good roots. There was racism. There was all types of things going on. There was wickedness. She was a part of a group that should be excluded. She wasn't a part of what God's plan was. But there she is, a Canaanite. She was a woman. Women didn't have rights. They didn't get a vote. They didn't have equal pay. They couldn't even testify in court. Their, their witness in court was of no use. It was no value. It wasn't considered worthy of being a testimony. She was excluded. And she's a prostitute. Three strikes. You're out. But in God's kingdom, she was in. Hebrews chapter 11. These two verses aren't in there either. I'm just adding these in unless he got them. Oh, look, he's such a genius. He got them in. Hebrews eleven thirty one. 31. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute, this is a different section of the Bible. So just in case you didn't know that my grandma was a prostitute, that I came from her, that I'm the savior of the world, and I came to save you, and that I came from the lineage of a prostitute on a, living in a wall, helping some spies out, just in case you didn't know that, in a whole different book of the Bible, I'm going to tell you again to make sure that you didn't miss it, just in case you never read that book. So Hebrews, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given them a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, here's an interesting thing to do. Go back and read Hebrews 11. It's an entire chapter about the great people of faith in the Bible. Abraham, father of our faith. All these people in names, martyrs, people that were thrown in the dens with lions. It names all these amazing people and included in that group of amazing people of faith is a prostitute. Her only goal was to just not be destroyed. Don't let me be judged by our wickedness. Have mercy and rescue me. And God takes and gives her an entire destiny above anything that she could imagine. James chapter 2. He's talking about her again. He just keeps putting her in the Bible over and over. James chapter 2. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Didn't Rahab's faith that God was the one that was right and that God was the one that had victory and that God was the one that was going to come in and have his way and that he was in charge. Didn't her faith in God turn into works where she began to try to repent and live in a way to help and to be on God's side? 
Yes, she had the spies, and she tried to turn her life towards the things of God. There's one other interesting thing in that lineage of Jesus. I'm only going to hit this one for a second, but I want to point this out because it reinforces these truths about God. It's in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 1. We already read it once, but it would have just blown right by. It says, Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. That's who it's talking about. Bathsheba, if you read your Bible and you know this story, she is the one who David sent his people, King David sent his his guards to go down to her house because her husband was at war fighting in the battle for David's kingdom. He sent his people down to get her and bring her to him so that he could have his way with her. She's a victim of his lusts, his desires. And then she got pregnant and rather than confess and try to find some way to, to, to restore this issue, David takes her husband, who should be coming home, and sends him on the front lines of the battle in the worst area possible, intentionally to get him killed so that the truth wouldn't come out. Because otherwise Uriah would come home and find a pregnant wife and say, how is she pregnant? I've been at war. So he has him killed. She also is in the line of Jesus. Someone that was abused, taken advantage of. Her husband was murdered. She carried a baby that wasn't from her husband. From a relationship she wasn't looking for. Under authority of a king that was taking advantage of her. A lot of people have been in similar situations. You say, how can God make anything good out of my life? Out of my abuse? Out of the things that I've been through? Out of the struggles that I've had? Out of the things that have been done to me? How can God use that? Well, we see here that God used it. We see here that God wasn't ashamed to say it. I used this one the one that was abused, the one whose husband was killed. And Bathsheba gave birth to Solomon, the king that the Bible says was the wisest king, the wisest man that ever lived, the one that rebuilt the temple of God and rebuilt his house. Her son built God's house. Her son brought the people together to build that. The son of a mistake, the son of an abuse, Son of a, a terrible situation. That's the one that God used to build his house. This one goes back up on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians. Your notes say 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, or it says chapter 20, verse 20. <laughs> That's because I've been praying and I'm reading verses in the future that God hasn't written yet. I'm trying to share and open your eyes to new understanding. There is no 1 Corinthians 20, verse 20, because there's, no there's no chapter 20, so that's a typo. It's actually 
chapter 1, verse 20. So sorry about that. But I'm going to read through this. Continues to reveal God's heart not only towards Rahab or Bathsheba or Solomon, but his heart to us. It says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law, the teacher of God's word? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. People are too smart for God because God didn't come the way we expected. God of the universe wouldn't come in a manger. God of the universe wouldn't come and be humble. God of the universe wouldn't let people put him on a cross. We're too smart for that. We're not going to fall for that. But it says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The Jews, the people that God had originally called, the Jews demanded a sign. They show us a sign, show us a miracle, prove that you're the one. The Greeks look for wisdom. They say, it doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense. Why would God come that way? It says, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews that wanted a sign. They wanted to see a powerful God, but what they received was a broken and crucified God. And foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God, what looked weak in the cross, is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. You know, he's getting to us. He's getting to who we are. He's getting to where we came from. He's getting to the mistakes that we've made. He's getting to the things of our own heart. The messed up, broken thoughts of our own minds. The things we regret, the things that we're ashamed of, the things that we can't change. says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. In other words, God chose you. Not because you're great. Not because you have it figured out. Not because you can play an instrument or sing a song or write a good message or have all the answers. Says God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. God didn't choose you because of your good qualities. God is not looking for the people in our city because of their good qualities. God is not trying to win your neighbor, your boss, your family member into his family because of their good qualities. He knows they're broken. He knows they're messed up. He knows that they have problems. He knows that they're despised and lowly and rejected, that they've made mistakes. He knows these things, and he is pursuing them. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'll tell you this about being an underdog, about winning. Okay? Being an underdog, being unable, disqualified, despised, lowly, being smaller than what you're facing does not disqualify you. It releases the power and the purpose of God in your life if you come to him. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Tells us in Galatians that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And therefore, we will boast in the Lord. The victory that's not just for this situation or for that situation, the victory that's not temporary, but that's permanent, that's long-lasting, that's forever, that's eternal, is a victory that comes from putting our faith and our hope and our trust solely and completely, without reservation, without any other exception, completely on Christ, on who He is, on what He's done for us and resting there. It's as if you were in a court case and the prosecution laid out an entire case against you. And they were right. And when it was your turn to come to the stand, the only thing that you did was walked up, sat down, they said, do you have anything for the defense to add? And you said, I stand on Jesus. Anything else, we rest our case. There is no other peace to it. It is to rest completely and solely on Jesus Christ, what he's done for you. Do we do good things? Do we try to improve? Do we try to mature? Do we grow in our hearts? Do we try to do good and to minister and do those things? Yes, we do that because it grows out of relationship with God as his spirit is in us and dwells in us. It grows out of that because wherever God's word is, life begins to grow out. But it is not what wins the victory. What wins the victory is faith. So let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray. If you're here today and you are, two things I'm going to ask. One is if you are not serving the Lord, you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're tired of losing. You're tired of getting beat up. You're tired of having short-term victories that don't last in your life. You keep struggling and striving. You know, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow after him. I want his victory. Christ died for you to give you victory. Wipe away your sins, to wipe away your mistakes, and to bring his life. If you will surrender to him, he'll give you a new life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that, Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God will give you a new heart and a new start. Is there anybody here that would fit that? I just want you to raise your hand and I would just pray with you. I'm not going to bring you up. But I would just pray with you if there's anybody. The second one is if you've been struggling with some discouragements because it seems that Every giant has a bigger giant behind it. Now you've been getting weary. 
You're just asking God, Lord, let the giant stop. Let the problem stop. Let the issue stop. And you want your faith to be filled back up. And I would just like to pray with you. Would you just raise your hand? I'll just pray. Yeah, I see those. Hey, God has more than just stopping the giants. God has destiny and purpose bigger than you can imagine for your life. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap if you do not lose heart. God's word tells us that. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here, Lord, that's raised their hands. Father, I pray right now, God, that your spirit would come upon them. Lord, fill their heart and mind in Christ Jesus, Lord, to put their faith in you. Lord, not in themselves. Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. God, direct their steps, Lord. Cause them to lean completely and solely upon you. I pray, God, that their faith, Lord, would be increased. God, I pray that the giants would fall, Lord, but beyond that, God, I pray that the victories of their heart and of their mind and of their faith would be long-lasting through this life, Lord, and on into heaven and eternity. I pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to uh, get kids and stuff. We do have a big party celebration now. I'll tell you, I know this was a maybe a heavy message. I don't know. It hit me when I started preaching, man, because this is my story. You know, one last thing I'll add to that is that the way that she signaled to them out of that wall to not be, to know that that's, this is my place, don't attack it, is she was to hang a red, a red piece of material out of the wall. That's a foreshadowing of the red of the blood of Jesus over our life. Is to hang that out and say, man, it's the Lord that's done it for me. It's the Lord that's done it for you, that's done it for me. It's the same one that wants to do it for the people out there. Okay, and we have a, a God that's with us, okay, to seek and save the lost. We have a mission to do. We have a mission to do. We are equipped by His Spirit. Whatever level you think you're at, whatever inability you think you have, you have God living and working in you. You have the answer to the problem that you see. And I pray that God's faith comes upon you to speak with faith and courage and to bring life to the people around you. We want to fill this house up not just so we can get out of a school and get our own building. We will do that at some point. We want to fill this up because every person that's sitting in this seat right now has a story. And every person that we add to this church and sit in another seat will have a story of the goodness of God. It's a beautiful thing. So we have kids to grab. Now here's a couple warnings. This building closes at 1.15. We have to be out of here. So if you have to use the bathroom, use it before you go. Okay, or be comfortable hiding out somewhere and doing it outside. But there's none out there. So use the bathroom before we go out there. We're going to have street tacos. We have pinatas. We have candy. We have all kinds of stuff going to go on down there. Music, so we're going to have a great time. Uh, but stick around, make friends, and have a blast down there. Next week's Mother's Day. If you want to get baptized, we're actually doing baptisms on Mother's Day. So let me know, and we will add you to that. And you can uh, make a profession of your faith in, in front of everyone next week. Amen?
she was like, you know, when's the last time I saw you? I said, I moved five years ago. She's like, you haven't been back? She goes, no, this is my first time. I know, I try to touch base when I do get close to people that are the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.